nonprofit, if your goal is to influence as many business minds as you can and help them find their their path to generosity, then how do you actually look at the data and look at the trend line? And and I will say we, you know, some of the numbers that we found and some of the things that we were able to report this year are super encouraging for us and our goals. Welcome back to Chat with Leaders, where we amplify the voices of leaders who use business and influence as a force for good. We believe that it's their example that will have a tremendous impact on our next generation of servant leaders who will carry us forward into our bright, sustainable future. This is Jeff Bond, and I'll be your guide for today's episode with Megan McKamey, the founding president of Go Beyond Profit, a venture built to help CEOs lead purposefully and authentically amidst changing expectations from stakeholders. A big part of that commitment are the timely insights brought to you by their annual business generosity report. And this conversation comes on the tails of them releasing their 2022 research findings around a roadmap for resilience. This research shows a path forward for generous leaders. Disruptions in the markets and in people's personal lives have ushered in an employee-centric approach to generosity, with executives needing to pay critical attention to the growing needs of mental health concerns of their employees. This report offers a roadmap for resilience in 2022 and beyond for all businesses of all sizes. So I'm super excited to unpack this in a conversation with Megan today. Enjoy. Megan, for those who are unfamiliar, can you start by giving our listeners a flyover of Go Beyond Profit? Absolutely. So Go Beyond Profit is an alliance of business leaders across the state of Georgia. And there are a little more than 1,800 of them, businesses of all sizes from solo entrepreneurs to Fortune 500, who have signed a pledge to say, we intend to operate our business generously to positively impact and improve the lives of people inside our business and outside in the communities. So that's probably the best elevator moment for who we are. I love the pledge aspect to it. It's it's simple, but it's also an intentional action that brings people together around a common good with there being a low barrier to entry. Because I do think in some cases, if you make it too hard for people to say, yes, I'm going to use my influence and in business and leadership as a force for good, it may prevent them from even getting started. And so like meeting them where they're at today and giving them a way to codify that and be part of a community and a movement of like-valued, like-minded people, I think really gives a lot of strength to that. And there's so many great organizations around the world, frankly, we will talk here in Atlanta. I'm part of the Conscious Capitalism Leadership Team for Marketing Communications. We got Nathan Stuck, who leads uh, Be Local Georgia with a great community. And we have the Georgia Social Impact Collaborative, just to name a few really strong social impact players all bringing people together around a common good. And I love how it just continues to, to grow this ecosystem and serve. What kind of momentum have you kind of felt with the social impact community since you started? Yes, well, yeah, to your point about the pledge in particular, the biggest growth I've seen or the, the intention or the space that Go Beyond Profit wanted to be a part of was inviting every single business owner or executive who's leading and running a business to the table. So often this notion of social impact, corporate social responsibility, business as a force for good, the conversation has been led by those in sort of the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000. And the vast majority of businesses are actually under 10 employees or under 50 employees. And you wanna make sure that this notion of how a business can operate generously feels applicable and that People who wake up every morning worried about the business of less than 100 employees feels like they are part of the conversation. And so I think the great momentum we've seen in the last four years has been just that, 
this idea that we might have a, a restaurant owner of 10 employees in Athens, and we might have a Fortune 500 restaurant company of 50,000 employees, right? That they're both committed and that they're both in the conversation saying, how does this work? How does this not work? What's the priority? How do we do it better? Wonderful. Yeah, because it's really there's this this kind of dichotomy between like what's exclusive, what's inclusive. And and me as a social entrepreneur, sh surely I have grand aspirations to grow into right. a huge company. I'm the under 10 category, but I very much am committed to social good. And really in the early stages, what you have is your time and your talent. You don't necessarily have the treasure, the resources to necessarily give generously, but you can democratize your experience. You can give wholeheartedly to social good. You can believe in the idea and live it out in your actions every day in terms of how you create a bright, sustainable future for that next generation while you're building momentum around your business. And then when you arrive at certain points to be able to give treasure more generously, like Jackson Healthcare, for instance, which we'll get right, into here right. in a second, then you can yeah. give numerously and still have a very profitable business that employs people and that really impacts the community. So I think it's uh, just such an important point that I didn't want to brush past too quickly. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about the impetus and story behind why you became the founding president back in 2017 and, and how the organization has evolved. So there was a group, there's a, a single founder and venture philanthropist that had the vision for what is now Go Beyond Profit. And there was a circle of founding business leaders all a bit later in their career here in Georgia, operating here in Georgia, who basically said, we believe that this notion of business generosity is fundamental to a successful business. And if we could lend our influence and our time here at this stage of our careers, we'd like to help every business. What if every single business in Georgia could find their way to operate generously? No, there wasn't a criteria that said, oh, you have to give 10% or you have to give this. It was no. Look at your own business and imagine what it would be like. And so they wanted to influence. And they connected into me through um, just peers and acquaintances uh, and asked me to come in and talk about it. And I have had the privilege of sort of envisioning the how. If, if your goal is to influence, then what's the how? And we certainly have learned a lot over the years about What's the most effective way to help a CEO, a, a company of all sizes? And we really settled in on this notion of peer-to-peer -peer conversation. And it's taken different forms. It's taken interviews, those who are in that position, that chief executive role. It's been events to gather people when that's been possible. And then what I know we're going to talk about today is it's been research, right, which we do a simultaneous survey of both those senior executives running the businesses in Georgia and employed adults so that we really can dig in, not just to the conversational style of what's working, what's not, what's a priority. We can really get some data behind it and we've been able to then see the trends. But that's, I got pulled in to think about the how and it's been a complete honor to work alongside the founders to hopefully have an impact here in the state of Georgia. 
Well, you most certainly are. And I love that you really focus on the word influence because that's something that's near and dear to my heart. When you have that opportunity to influence others and create community and belonging and you're inclusive and how you do that, you create momentum around a business or a, a movement or a nonprofit organization, any sense of community where people gather that can truly make a difference in the world when you have shared beliefs of doing good, serving others, being generous. And the research you touched on before is outstanding. And you come up with an annual business generosity report. Why has that been such an important project for you personally, uh, in order to serve your stakeholder community? First of all, it's been a stretching project. Um, I can't say that before I got here to go beyond profit that I had been really in the, the research, um, in the, in the world of doing a lot of research. I'd been more in the grassroots and building space. And so it's been phenomenal for me to really learn and work with experts um, to craft the research. But again, the whole focus of the research is the data. How do you look at the trend lines around mindsets, which now we can say we can capture? Um, how do you look at, check your gut. Everybody has a gut around how people are feeling or what employees might be prioritizing or whether peers actually find this important. And data checks your gut and gives you those actual tactical insights that you need. When this whole conversation around social impact was beginning, and it's been decades now, there was a larger report, the Edelman Trust Report, that came out and was starting to talk about whether or not consumers really actually trusted brands more or wanted to buy from brands more who were starting to show that they cared more broadly than their bottom line. And we went through decades where that report said they care very, very much and they were not changing their buying habits. They were in no way crossing the street for a different brand. And then all of a sudden that report showed a shift and it showed the shift that the younger demographics were paying significantly more for the brands that they saw were doing good that weren't, that were sourcing well, that were treating customers well, that were giving their resources towards societal issues. So the trend line shifted. And that's a bit of what we've been trying to do here with Go Beyond Profit. If your goal is to influence as many business minds as you can and help them find their, their path to generosity, then how do you actually look at the data and look at the trend line? And and I will say we some of the, the numbers that we found and some of the things that we were able to report this year are super encouraging for us and our goals. Absolutely. Well, we're going to dig into that report for this year, but I really think that it's uh, important to back these claims with data. There's so many people out there, so many leaders in business that that still think that this is all pie in the sky thinking, that people just don't particularly care about purpose, generosity, that that doesn't draw employees, it doesn't create enduring businesses. It's just the kind of brute forces of capitalism and how we run a business and, and we push through that and we operate like kind of a assembly line and we have the management centered around all the people to make sure they're doing their work. But the, I mean, the world has shift, shifted so much and, and even accelerated so much over the pandemic era that we're in. Uh, so really seeing the drastic changes that you're uh, research has really shined a spotlight on is incredibly interesting. So I'm proud to share that with uh, our listeners today. So I want to jump right in with given this market volatility and the shifting business climate really during the pandemic era, how has that influenced business generosity? How has that changed the perspective of employees choosing where they work? 
Yes. Well, the interesting thing is it's changed it dramatically. We've been, again, tracking it for these four years. And back in 2019, when we started this survey, about 47% of employed adults said this is something that influences the decision that they make on where they're going to work. Now it's 75% who claimed it is very or extremely important to them. 75%. There's more percentages that said it's a little important, but 75% said it's very or extremely important to them that the company that they work for be seen as generous, be known as generous. That's a remarkable shift. And quite frankly, even from last year, when we did this in 2021, that's it went up from 60% to 75% just in the one-year span. So it's become statistically significantly more important over time. And I think the important parallel to that is that executives know it. There was only 1% of executives who said, this is just a, a passing trend in our survey. The vast majority of them, now back in 2019, again, executives, only about 43% said, this is important to me because it's important to sort of core financial measures, like around customer, whether they can get more, gain more customers, that kind of a thing. Only 43%. In, in 2020, they started to say about 64% said, no, I, it, I think it's impacting my business um, health, the overall health. Now in this survey, we found 88% of executives said that actively operating generously creates a more connected culture. 83% said it helps them attract and retain talent. And 80% said it helps them gain new customers. So now there are the vast majority are, are recognizing that finding their way to operate generously is going to hit the key financial measures that make their company resilient and healthy through the ups and the downs. So it's been a remarkable shift for sure. Yeah, so super interesting, whether you're listening to this in 2022 or, or down the line, this is a moment in history where there's this trend that we've coined the term the great resignation or uh, the great quit or the great escape or it's significantly impacted executive business leaders and their ability to retain employees, so many of whom are still trying to figure out how to survive their business uh, during this economic trend. So what did your report find to be some of the top reasons uh, that employees were leaving and, and why certain businesses have been more successful at getting theirs to stay? So what we asked, yeah, great question. When we wanted to dig in, right? Okay, so generosity efforts are what impact now core business measures, great. But for anybody who wakes up every morning worried about operating a business, they need something more specific than that. So we dug in and asked them both, okay, what does that exactly mean when you're talking about employees versus what does it mean when you're talking about what you might do to help outside your business with the community? Let's break it down. And so we broke down what generosity efforts a company should be doing, what's the greatest priority. And for employed adults, what they said is, please give me flexibility. Number one, standalone, they want flexibility. What was super interesting, and we focused a lot on this report, the number two thing that they're asking for is mental health support, which if you look at all the options that we gave them, unlimited PTO and emergency assistance, all sorts of parental leave, all sorts of things that might you might have thought would have been more elevated. They said, number one, could we please have flexibility? Number two, can we please have mental health support? What's probably important 
or is important to, to note about that was the difference between what employees said they need and what executives think they need. So executives really elevated some of those core company statements and groundings that help people feel connected, their company values, um, their purpose statement. They elevated those. Mental health was way down the line for executives in terms of what they thought employees would be looking for from their company. Everybody got it right. Everybody named flexibility as the first, but then the drop-off came in terms of where mental health fell um, for executives compared to employed adults. So I think it's an important thing to raise up for those running companies that that's the key measure that they need to get right. When you ask the question, why are they leaving? We asked everybody, so in the next six months, do you have any sense that you might leave? Over 30% said, yes, I'm planning to leave, which is of note because when we talk about this great resignation or great reassessment, this has been happening. People have been leaving their job now for the last eight months in droves. So at this moment in time, you still have 30% who are considering leaving you. That's That hurts. You've already lost a good percentage point of people. So when we asked not just those 30%, not just the people who've declared it, but everybody, what are you thinking about that makes you want to leave? The and we said you can talk about compensation. Number one was compensation. So nobody will be surprised that compensation was their number two. Everybody should be surprised that number two and only three point difference from compensation was mental health issues. That's why they're leaving. What I think is also super interesting to take a look at again of all the choices that they had, flexibility fell to the bottom of why they're leaving. So while it's something they're saying that they really want and need, What's super interesting to note is mental health came in number two for what they need and why, why, they, why they're leaving. And so what it really highlights to me is that's what you've got to get right. That's the piece that you really need to pay attention to. And if you only look at compensation as the key thing to be able to keep your people and don't pay attention to this mental health issue, which I think flexibility plays a big role in. That flexibility is, is that ability to manage the stresses in their lives. So however that shows up or looks for your business, whether you have the option of choosing remote work and hybrid, or really flexibility is just more shift sharing and grace when somebody can't come in for an assigned shift. Whatever it is, mental health is the issue. It's both what they need and why they're leaving. incredible insights. And I feel like there's just so much that we could unpack with that and that I could say in response. But I think the one most significant thing out of all of that is just the disparity of what the perception was on the CEO side versus the employee side and the importance of doing these uh, types of studies and sharing these types of conversations and bringing these peer groups together of leaders who have this opportunity to bridge the gap and to address the realities, confront them early and often and really make a fundamental difference in their approach to how they're intentional 
with their teams. It can close the back door. It can open the front door. It can create a better culture and environment. It can create and elevate humanity in terms of the stakeholders that they serve. And it can really help them as leaders feel more fulfilled that what they're doing matters because ultimately the human condition is centered around our desire for purpose and meaning and belonging. You know, we want to understand that we were created and we're here for a reason that uh, what we do matters. There's an impact there. I know a lot of men particularly feel that way. I don't know. I've, I've struggled with that in my life too. Of yes, like, yes. What is the significance of my contributions? Do people notice? Do they care? I've worried a little bit less about that over time, but I, I think that ultimately just it bothers people. And this mental health crisis comes off the tail of two years of collective trauma and loss and just everything going on. And it's surprising uh, to me that we're just not seeing it as leaders, that we're not like seeing the obvious nature of it, right? And under, understanding that everyone is feeling that collective trauma. So I think that's just such an important uh, uh, research study, in fact, that was pulled out and really an aha moment, if you will. I think so. And I think the other piece of it, we dug into how is this impacting people, whether they worked remotely 100% of the time, during the pandemic or majority, whether they had, you know, more of a hybrid or flexible opportunity or whether their role required them to be in the office 100% of the time. So we were able to run cross tabs across the data to say, did that have an impact? And to your point about purpose, the really good news is across all segments, both executives and employed adults really actually feel like they know their company has a purpose statement. They, it is doing its work of helping it, them feel like everybody's operating towards the good of that purpose statement. That's a huge trend shift. If you would have had this conversation with me even three years ago, I think most executives would have said, wait, no, I have a mission statement that I wrote when I founded the business. What's this purpose concept, right? So the purpose concept it has caught hold. That's great. What we found was if employed adults don't have flexibility, which we believe from this plays into the balance of their mental health, if they don't have it, they become skeptical around the purpose, they become skeptical around the company values, isn't as resonant, it doesn't have the power that it does if your employees have the opportunity to have more flexibility, which is super interesting if you think about the place that executives are in right now. And we've had the opportunity to speak to a lot of people in that role. And when they are feeling their most transparent about it, they would tell you the challenge they have is they know how to operate a successful business when everybody is in their role doing the job in the workplace, regardless of the industry. or something. That's when they have built a successful business. That's what they know what works. You have two years of disruption. They would like to get back to what they know works. They would like get back to get back to that plan. And so the plan or the need that employees are expressing of a lot more flexibility and how they show up and where they are, it simply causes stress and strain to the business model that they have successfully run. But what I think the research that we've done hopefully brings some ease to executives is if you can figure out how to adapt your business model to include more flexibility, all the key components that are so important to that connectivity, to the loyalty, to the positive culture, to everything that's important to the foundation of your business, it will be more powerful. It will resonate more and you will keep people more. So I think it's that leaning into the pain of 
we're not going back. People experience something that they need help to move into a different, a different way of operating. Those that have ears to hear, let them hear. I mean, that is just spot on, <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's so important. I know so many business leaders now are, are struggling with this kind of tension of this full return back to the office or return to these pre-pandemic conditions. And and you really just highlighted how your research talked about the impact remote work has been having on company culture and how businesses should really continue to be thinking about these big considerations of whether or not to return or how to shift and how to adapt and how to give themselves the grace to understand that We've had multiple industrial revolutions, and it's kind of conditioned us as leaders to think a certain way about how people do their work and uh, are managed. But it's it's a new way of leadership, and it's challenging everybody. And so we all have to be in this constant development mode as leaders to get better. You, you're never fully arrived. It's a lifelong journey. You know, the people I've respected the most in my life as leaders are the ones that are asking questions till the day before they die. And they're right. they're always That's seeking right. wisdom and discernment. So really well well stated. And I appreciate you highlighting that. And and you talked a little bit about uh, trust as kind of a as a topic too. So it's mistrust is really sharply rising among media, government, large corporations. Yes. <laughs> uh, we all see it. They're, we're all kind of herded into our echo chambers through social media and algorithms. How are both employees and executives feeling about the trust relationship that their companies produce to do what's right? Yeah, you pointed out some interesting pieces that we found out. So we wanted to sort of check in on trust. And for our members, for our businesses, we wanted to get into the nuance my employer as a business, a smaller local business, and those larger corporations. Often trust measures look at institutions in bigger buckets. They say business, media, government, NGOs. And those big buckets are interesting, but when you're looking at a statewide initiative, you really have to nuance that more to understand exactly who they're trusting. And what we found is overwhelmingly people trust their employer the most to do what is right. Overwhelmingly, both executives, and you, it's not surprising that executives are wildly trustworthy of their own business. Of course, they're running it, that should be. But employed adults do trust their employer the most, and then they trust local business. It, what's fascinating is the slide. So government then is not at all as trusted in any form, local, state, or federal. But it, it was interesting. There's this little tickle that says, uh-oh, large corporations fell low. They fell right below, right uh, in front of media and the federal government. <laughs> so, so given the, the global landscape that we know we've all been facing and the national landscape, I was disappointed that large corporations fell that low for their own sake, but super encouraged that we can see the great amount of trust in employers and in local businesses to do what is right. We then sort of asked the question, okay, we see who you trust. When it comes to solving problems with just the business institutions, what would you like to see them do and who do you trust the most to solve problems? And Back again, the greatest amount of trust comes to local smaller businesses and employers to get in there and really solve problems. So what that tells us, given the holistic look at our research, is if employees are hurting, if we look at this from a deeply human perspective, if employees are hurting and they're asking their employer, they're willing to say out loud that I'm hurting to their employers, 
they're also trusting that employer the most and the local businesses that interact their, with their daily lives the most to be a part of the solutions. And that's an interesting moment. So it's the good news, I think, for employers that you're highly trusted and it's the important clarion call. They need you to help. So well stated. And I know there with that comes a lot of pressure around the uh, responsibility of a, of a small to mid-sized business leader or any business leader, frankly, to own that. But it also is a privilege to have that opportunity to pour into others' lives. And I don't know, for me as an entrepreneur, as, as a leader, I mean, just having the ability to serve others on, in that way, your team members, and to employ them to contribute to their uh, well-being, you know, and their uh, ability to provide, you know, for their families. It's one of the greatest gifts that you can have as a leader and to be present and human in their lives and look at them as not just resources or FTEs or contractors or whatever you do, but you look at them as humans first. And, and there's a, a compassion Absolutely. and empathy towards that. The vast majority of chief executives that I speak to share one thing in common. They wake up every single morning worried about the people who work for them. That is their one absolute concern. And I think potentially what might be a bit of ease, again, uh, along with how to execute, what the report said to us this year is you can stay focused on your people. When it comes to how you demonstrate whether or not you are this generous company that people want to work for, you're worried about your people and you can be. Go ahead and be concerned. It's not that we do have a great section on the more traditional definitions of generosity around charitable giving and company volunteerism. Those are still valued and those are still effective ways for businesses to demonstrate externally how they care for communities. And so in no way do I want to minimize that. Those are super important and your employees care that you are solving societal problems. They see you as the most trustworthy to solve societal problems and they want you to be engaged there. But they're also giving you a bit of a moment to stay here at home inside the business with your generosity, to potentially give yourself that chance to really focus on their care and keeping and worry far less, quite frankly, about your public facing efforts. Those don't need to be where you increase your giving right now if that's feeling super stressful. If the resources are tight, the report would say figure out how to ease the mental health of your employees. And quite frankly, actually, one of the places we've seen the research get picked up this week by some of our members, and they're reverbing it with their own perspective, which has been super encouraging. And one of the companies reverbed and said, we're going to go ahead and partner and elevate some of our external relationships to bring their services, not to just to the community, but to our employees. So they've been investing in some nonprofits that really take care of some mental health and, and human service aspects for external stakeholders. And what they're saying is we're going to increase our giving and have that same expert that's out in the community come inside and help us internally, which I think is a fantastic takeaway. 
Well, and if you take care of the internal first, the external comes with it, right? I'd argue to say, I mean, if you're constantly focused on being a people first leader, your public facing opportunities will come, your partnerships and the whole stakeholder ecosystem that you serve in your community and your clients and all that will fall into place as a people first leader. So Megan, this was incredibly inspiring. I could talk to you all day long. If people wanted to get involved, if leaders wanted to take the pledge, join the events, consume your research, where would you guide them online? Please just come to go um, gobeyondprofit.org, or certainly we have a great following on LinkedIn. If you'd like to have the information served up to you on more of a daily, weekly basis, then come follow us on LinkedIn. Either place would be great. Well, Megan, our community here loves to celebrate leaders who use their influence as a force for good. Such a gift to know you, and thank you for your gift of time. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Well, that wraps up another edition of Chat with Leaders. Thank you for investing your time with us today. If you haven't already, we would be grateful if you shared this episode with a friend and rated it on Apple or wherever you get your podcast so we can pass down the wisdom from our guests to more aspiring leaders. If you're interested in launching a professional podcast to grow your business, we would love to help. Check out chatwithleaders.com for more information and feel free to reach out by emailing team at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again and go be a leader worth following.